Good morning. We're reading today from um, the book of John, chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep and sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice." So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Picking up again in verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to please with me picture the ancient Israelite tabernacle. Moses and the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness, but worshiping God according to his direct prescription in the ancient tabernacle and how that tradition and that floor plan became what was known as Solomon's temple. And then eventually by the time of Jesus Christ, the first century, the temple that King Herod had erected in Jerusalem. Just want you to picture that temple and some of its more memorable features. The Apostle John, throughout 
this gospel, has several times depicted Jesus as different aspects, fulfilling different aspects of that ancient tabernacle and temple, depicting Jesus as the bread of life that came down from heaven, depicting Jesus as living water, depicting Jesus as the light of the world. These were powerful images of God's constant provision and constant guidance in the Israelites' wilderness wanderings, and that identity became such a part of uh, their concept as a people group for centuries leading up to the time of Jesus. So now imagine Jesus in the first century teaching in and around the temple. This is Herod's temple. Imagine Jesus teaching outside the temple under Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's portico because uh, it was, it was a, a place that was more sheltered from the elements. He's there in Solomon's colonnade in the court of the Gentiles facing the main entrance into the temple, the gate called Beautiful. And there he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, to a first century Jew from all around the world, because that's who scholars believe is John's main audience. First century Jews scattered around the world. Why else would he be giving them so many images and connotations of the ancient tabernacle and temple. They would have understood that type of language. I am the light of the world. I am the bread from heaven. And John reveals Jesus in a progressive way throughout this gospel as the new temple, the new tabernacle. Jesus is the way by which God's sheep can enter into his presence for true life in order to flourish. And hence, after all of this, Jesus concludes in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Now, we're, we're not really an agrarian society. We're, like, we're surrounded by a farming community, but I know most of you, you're not farmers, and neither am I. I married one, but I am not. We are quite removed from language like shepherds, and sheep, and we, we hear about it, you know, if you're familiar with the Bible, you hear that language all the time, but very few of us have lived that type of language. And yet today, I want to try and communicate the concept that Jesus is our guide and our comforter and our protector. You can understand that. Jesus is a guide and a comforter and a protector. And so we're going to look at that and how Jesus leads us into truth and into assurance, and into the protection of God's presence. He leads us into the presence of God where we listen to his guiding voice, his assuring presence, and the way he sacrificially defends us like a shepherd. So his guiding voice, his assuring presence, and his sacrificial defense of you, of you, not just us, but you. A guiding voice is a mark of a good shepherd. We don't always think of a shepherd's voice. You know, we, we think of the shepherd's rod and the shepherd's staff and, and you know, green pastures and, and still waters and predators and things like that. But 
but the voice of the shepherd is key. The Old Testament scholar he taught in the seminary I went to, Timothy Laniak, actually spent a good amount of time uh, following Bedouin shepherding communities around the Middle East. He did it for a six-month sabbatical once. He just lived with shepherds and watched them work. And, and he's written a couple of books about, uh, about his experiences, and, and he synthesizes his experiences with shepherding uh, with his, his, um, his Old Testament knowledge. It's quite fascinating to read his stuff. Anyway, he spent a lot of time with Middle, East, Middle Eastern shepherds, and he learned that sheep get accustomed to their own shepherd's voice, that sheep can actually distinguish the voice of their own shepherd from the voice of anybody else. And to prove that you're a really good shepherd, part of the training process is to be able to steal someone else's sheep. Sheep can really distinguish the voice of their own shepherd. And so Jesus says in verse 27 of John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And so you have to start imagining how a a first century Jew who knew the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures would hear words like that and what would they think of? I think of Jacob near the end of his life saying, uh, describing God as the God who has been my shepherd all my life. Or David, the shepherd king, saying, the Lord is my shepherd. That's how David thought of his God. Or even the prophet Isaiah saying that God would come someday and God would tend his flock like a shepherd and he would gather the little lambs into his arms. Or the prophet Ezekiel, when when he chastised the leaders of Israel for not shepherding the people well. And he said, God said, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. And then God said, I will shepherd my people myself. And isn't it amazing how we learn in Luke chapter chapter two that the first people to visit baby Jesus were shepherds. So Jesus summons rich Old Testament language to describe himself. And the shepherd voice of Jesus to the Christian is distinct. It it stands out in an uncertain world so that you can distinguish Jesus from every other voice. And this is essential as we live in what we call a post-truth culture where everyone has some type of claim uh, to the truth, and nobody can say they have the truth, that's the cardinal sin, and, and where every voice you hear demands a hearing. Is that not true? That every voice demands to be heard. And so it's essential for the Christian to distinguish Jesus' voice among all of those others. Studies in third trimester uh, fetal development have revealed in recent decades that that an unborn baby in the third trimester can distinguish its mother's voice from the voice of another person, even within the womb. This is why Christians are people of the book. This is why Christians believe in truth. This is why we read and trust the Bible. It's not that we ignore 
good information and good reason? Uh, no, because God gave us minds and, and, and we, we can rationalize and reason. And so in a sense, we say all truth is God's truth. But we believe in objective truth and a final authority. We trust God's word, the Bible, because God has spoken, because Jesus has spoken to us and those who are truly his truly listen. The shepherd's voice of Jesus is a voice that the Christian can distinguish when so many voices are demanding to be heard in this world. What are the implications, though, of a shepherd's voice? Well, I think one implication is the shepherd's presence. To be able to hear the shepherd's voice implies that the shepherd is there, that we're not alone. An assuring presence is also a mark of a good shepherd. Not only a guiding voice, but the assuring presence that the shepherd is there and so you are safe. Even as Christians, sheep are constantly prone to wander like, like an old hymn says. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Wandering is consistent with the nature of sheep. Sheep wander according to their nature, which is a very dangerous thing, right? Because there are wolves, there are thieves, Jesus describes, right? And, and there are hired hands who may mean well but lack commitment because they're not invested in the sheep. And so Jesus says in verses 12 and 13, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and flees. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He doesn't say he's not a good worker. He says he doesn't care about the sheep. He's in it for the money. He's trying to make a buck. He's trying to feed his family, but he's not invested in the sheep. And so when things get really difficult, he, he gets out of there. Jesus said this to the religious leaders. If you remember, you look at John chapter 9, right? Today's passage begins at the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 9, but by the end of the passage, we're not in, the, in October, November anymore. We're in December, basically, at the Feast of Dedication, which is what we know as Hanukkah. So at some point, John transitions from the Feast of Tabernacles to the Feast of Dedication, and it's there that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and he's describing them as the higher hands who don't care about the sheep, but John tells us they don't realize it. They don't understand that he's talking about them. You know, despite the outrage that we experience today, uh, maybe you're a Christian and you look at corrupt religious leaders and it really makes you upset because they're, they're a poor witness and they shed a poor light on all of us. Or maybe you're not a Christian or you're not a church goer. And, and the reason why is because of all the priests and pastors and evangelists that have, have morally fallen or have pruned to be, proven to be corrupt. It happens all the time, right? And it's offensive and discouraging. I, I, I totally get that. Despite our outrage when pastors and priests and evangelists fall, we should remember what Jesus says here. He said to us 2,000 years ago, that's the way things are. There are plenty of people who are not shepherds. They may be gifted. They may be talented. 
They may have a great capacity to do many things at once and attract a large following, and many people may love what they say, and God may even work through some of the things that they do, but they're not shepherds. And when their safety and when their reputation is compromised, they flee. They jump out of the sheep pen and they run off. So we really should be outraged, but we shouldn't be surprised. And in this dangerous wilderness of wolves and thieves, Jesus assures his sheep in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He goes further than that. He says, my father who is greater than all, nobody will snatch them out of my father's hand. The troubles, the threats, the enemies, the losses of this life will not scare Jesus off. He doesn't hop over the stone wall and run for the hills. The wolf comes, adversity comes, he is right there, he is committed. He's not going to get scared off. Or to put it another way, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, and we never, if you're familiar with the New Testament, this is one of your favorite verses, and we never think of it in terms of shepherding. But listen to it from the perspective of the good shepherd. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, right? Add into that wolves, hired hands. He goes on to say, for, you, for, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are what? Regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But then he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No one can snatch my sheet out of my hand. The Christian doctrine of perseverance, you may have heard it called the perseverance of the saints, is a beautiful doctrine. Not because we persevere, but because Jesus perseveres. He perseveres in protecting his sheep, in guiding his sheep, in assuring his sheep that he is with us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And that has given me great assurance that Jesus will not abandon me in, in, in you know, life-threatening illnesses and trying to parent and trying to learn how to be a husband and, and dealing with adversity and want and <laughs> planning a church and all sorts of things. The perseverance of the saints is more about Jesus' perseverance in protecting and guiding and leading us. So get to know him better. Get to know him more intimately as your guide. He's not just on his throne out there in the ether somewhere. He's in you by his spirit. Get to know him as your guide. Get to know him as your comforter. Get to know him as your protector. As some theologians say, we take advantage of the means of grace. The means of grace is what God has provided so that his salvation becomes real to you. So that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago impacts you every day. 
the means of God's grace. As the, West, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism describes them, the means are this, the Word of God, the sacraments of God, baptism and communion, and of course, prayer. These are the means by which God communicates all that Jesus has done to you. The Word of God, baptism and prayer, and uh, uh, sorry, baptism and communion and prayer. So uh, this is going to sound like Christianity 101, but I think we always need to hear it. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. And read it with others. Don't just read it by yourself, right? Your daily bread, right? It, it, it's not just like a little cracker. For It's a loaf that God's family eats together. Read the Bible and read it with others. Hey, join a community group. We've got six of them now that, that the pandemic has started ebbing away. We have opportunities, and, and, and if you can't find one that works, let's talk about starting up a few more. Come to worship regularly, whether, whether you still have to do it online for health reasons or whether it's in person, but come to church regularly, not just the average once or twice a month that uh, George Barner and researchers tell that most American Christians participate but come regularly, not neglecting taking communion, not neglecting the, uh, the sacrament of baptism if it applies to you and your family, because these are the means by which Jesus communicates his presence, his guiding voice, and his protection of us. The word, the sacraments, and prayer, this is how we remember the grace of God. So pray, 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 even if it's simple prayer, better honest prayer than elegant prayer, okay? And through these means of grace, Jesus, I promise you, because it says it in his word, Jesus will assure you that he is with you, that he is present. There's that other old hymn, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Our wandering is exactly that. It's wandering. We stray, not God. We stray. Jesus' words in John 10 uh, make that beautifully clear, painfully clear. We stray. He's committed to his sheep. Have you ever strayed off of a Google search and, and, and ended up somewhere else? Like after, and you're like, what in the right? You go on Google and you're trying to figure out how to fix something on your computer, right? right? Siri is telling you something or Alexa is telling you something that you don't understand. And, and so you're on Google and you type in, I need to fix this issue with my... And then 10 minutes later, you're not even doing... Now you're like reading about the British royal family, right? Or, or you're like just scrolling through kitten memes or, or you know, you're like, oh, uh, wow, I've been looking at the next car I want to buy for the last 10 minutes and I was just trying to fix my computer, right? You, you, you understand that, right? So, so um, the marketing and the algorithms on the World Wide Web appeal to your nature and guide you off the path. It's not their fault. It's your fault. They appeal to your nature. They know what you like. They know what you're looking for. And they get you off course. But if it weren't your nature to wander around the internet, their means would be not effective at all. 
Okay? So, all we like sheep have gone astray, the prophet Isaiah said. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way, Isaiah said. And that's a beautiful and realistic Uh, illustration of what sin is. Sin is the moral inability to stay on path. And check this out. The irony of sin is not only do we not stay on the path, but we think that God has misled us. That's our nature. We wander off and then we, we blame God for deserting us. Wandering doesn't even require becoming unreligious. You don't have to leave the church. You don't have to leave Christianity. You don't have to stop reading the Bible to start wandering. Some of the most religious people are the most notorious wanderers. A wandering spirit simply takes thinking that you're not a sheep. thinking that you're better than that. I mean, it's like of all the animals you could be, right? Like, like I want my Patronus to be uh, an orca or a lion, right? Or like a liger or something great, right? And it's like, well, like a squirrel, really? Or like, you know, like, I don't know, a slug? Thanks, right? So, so it's like we have all these animals in the, in the world and God's like, all right, my people, guess what your animal is? You're a sheep. <laughs> Wow, how, like, man, like, talk about, like, losing your pride of all the things you could be, like a dragon, no, a sheep, great, wonderful. And so, so the wandering spirit is an unwillingness to know that you're a sheep. You're a sheep. You're a sheep. I'm a sheep. That's who we are. So we wander into philosophies and lifestyles and habits that cannot defend us and cannot protect us. And we follow leaders inside and outside of the church, whether it's the president or a congresswoman or a parent or a coach or a pastor. We begin following people that cannot defend us who actually end up robbing us and devouring us and leading us over a cliff. But We've done the wandering. But Jesus, Jesus sacrificially defends his sheep. Sacrificial defense is also the mark of a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd what? The good shepherd what? Lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That is what the hired hand, Jesus says, is unwilling to do because his interests are not invested in the sheep. He has other things to protect, and so he jumps the fence and runs. But the good shepherd, Jesus says, lays his life down. And the proof of a shepherd's authenticity for his sheep, like a mother's sacrificial love, is to lay down his life. Think about it, right? I mean, you, you understand you have kids, and you'll love other kids, but, but there's something special about how you think about your own kids. 
You're invested in your own kids. You want to love all kids, but you are invested in your own kids. A shepherd may be a skilled, authentic shepherd, but the shepherd is invested in his own sheep, not in somebody else's. And so Jesus lays his life down for his sheep. He goes into harm's way to protect his sheep, even against a predator. I was struck as Timothy Lanyak talked about Middle Eastern shepherds. I was struck by how short the, the rod is. You know, a shepherd's staff is almost as tall as the shepherd so that it can guide and correct the sheep and even the shepherd can lean on that staff. But the rod is short. I mean, it is hard, hard olive wood that can crack a skull, but it's like two and a half feet long. What does that mean? If your weapon for fighting off a wolf or a lion or a bear is less than three feet long, it means you're going to get really close to that predator. And that's the mark of authenticity. A shepherd that is willing to get that close to danger to defend his sheep. There's nothing Jesus wouldn't do for his sheep. He even became one. And so we see here, as John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 29, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The good shepherd became a lamb. God did the unthinkable and became the sacrificial lamb pictured in the Old Testament temple to save his sheep. Because Isaiah 53, verse 6, went on to say that although we like sheep have gone astray, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus allowed our guilt, our shame, our wandering sin to be placed on his own head. And he laid down his life for the sheep. That's who we're talking about when we say the Lord is my shepherd. Get to know that Jesus. Get to know him. That may be the only thing that keeps you in the church these days. That may be the only thing that keeps you reading your Bible, that keeps you calling yourself a Christian or becoming a Christian is to see that God is this person, Jesus, who says, I and the Father are one. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. They hear my voice and no one can snatch them out of my hands. Jesus leads us into truth. Jesus leads us into assurance. Jesus leads us into protection in the presence of God. I am the door by which sheep may come in and out and find pasture. So let his guiding voice assure you of his presence and his sacrificial protection. Now, some of us need to hear his voice in order to keep on going, don't we? And we hear his voice as we read his word and we hear his voice as we pray, maybe not literally, but the spirit convinces us that we are God's children in prayer, Romans 8. And finally, through the sacraments, especially when we take communion together, Jesus' voice is guiding us. And that's what we need to keep going. Some of you need to hear his voice for the first time. May God give you ears to hear it.
but all, all may find safe pasture in the house of God through Jesus, the good shepherd. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, thank you for becoming one of us. We can't say that you can't identify with us. We can't say that you haven't walked in our shoes. We can't say that our God does not understand our suffering. Thank you for laying down your life for us. May we listen to your voice. And would you lead us into the presence of the Father where we know that we are not a stranger, that we are not a guest, but we are like a child at home. Amen.